0: He makes me lie down in green pastures, He leads me beside quiet waters, He refreshes my soul, He guides me along the right paths for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for You are with me, Your rod and Your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know, there is always a danger that when the biblical text becomes particularly familiar to us, we begin to believe that we know all that there is to know about the text. And when this happens, we tend to overlook messages and applications that are quite obvious. For instance, just at the start, I just want to point out to you something that you may not notice. And that is, did you realize that uh, the first three verses use the third-person language? It talks about the Lord is my shepherd. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He restores my souls. He leads me. He guides me. It's a third-person language. And then when you come to verse 4, there is a transition from He to you. There's a transition from a third-person language to a first-person language. It says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Now he didn't say, you restore my soul. You lead me. You guide me. He, sorry. Now he used the word you. For you are with me. From third person language, use the first person now. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me. You anoint me with oil. My cup overflowed. And so just from reading through Psalms 23 and pointing out the transition from verse 3 to verse 4 from third-person language to first-person language, I think the lesson straight away that I've learned from this form change is that we should not talk very long about God without talking to God. And the first lesson that this psalm teaches me is that my study of the Bible, my study of the theology, my study of KYB, my study in the Bible study group, my listening of sermon every Sunday here at church should always lead me to a deeper relationship with God. That is the ultimate aim. That is the ultimate goal because Christianity is essentially a relationship with God. And, And among all the Imagery that we can use about describing God, I think King David gave us a very comprehensive understanding of who God is. And bearing in mind that he himself was a shepherd. He himself was a shepherd. And he knows sheep very well because he was a shepherd. And as a result, he, after most people say that David probably lived about until 70 years old. He uh, became king when he was 30 years old, and he served as a king for 40 years. So all in all, he probably lived on earth for about 70 years. And at the, almost the end of his life, he reflected of his encounter with God, walking with the Lord, uh, go astray, and all that. And he used this image of a shepherd to describe his relationship with God. So bearing in mind that this person write this is from a personal experience, personal encounter of walking with the Lord uh, a journey. And as uh, Pastor Bruce at the prayer meeting this morning asked people, what kind of flower describe you? How, what kind of flower would you use to describe about yourself? I can't think of any because I, I don't know much about flowers. Uh, but if you were to describe about God, what kind of image would you use to, to paint a picture of God? And uh, David has been using God as king, as, as a rock, as a liberator, as, as a deliverer over time in the Psalms. And here, he gave a very comprehensive understanding of who God is. He used the imagery of a shepherd to give us some pointers of who God is. You know, uh, as a pastor, sometimes we... we we when, when, when things are very complex we, we like to make we like to simplify things and make it easy in a sense for example some people view church uh using it, church as a business model and when you view church as a business model then your setup your understanding of things all about doing things in the church is all based on business model budget and this might go out, you must have this return, and all that kind of way. And if you view church as a family, for example, you begin to see church differently as a family, as a brothers and sisters in the Lord, about reconciliation, about forgiveness, about fellowship together, and all that. So different different models will create different ways of doing things in that sense. And so our image of God is essential, because if you always view God only as a creator, or only as king, then your relationship will evolve around that particular image of God. And I think uh, King David, in Psalms 23, gave us a very comprehensive uh, understanding of this God, in particularly relating to the sheep, and so today, the sermon is coming from a sheep anger, looking at a shepherd. And bearing in mind, David was a shepherd before, and uh, he's viewing it from the ang- both angles as well. So what I'd like to do this morning is to, is to give you five things, based on six verses, 117 words. Uh, as we go through these short Psalms, uh, think of yourself as a sheep with the Lord as your shepherd. And I'd like to give you five points, what you experience as a sheep when you have God or Jesus as your shepherd. The first thing that I want to give to you is that when you call God your shepherd, Psalms verse 1 tells us that you will experience sufficiency or contentment. It simply says, The Lord is my shepherd. Some version, older versions say, I shall not be in want. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. When I was young, I don't know that there were so many versions of the Bible. And uh, so I saved up money to buy this leather bound Bible. And then I realized I bought a King James version. Because I was a new Christian, I went to a Methodist bookshop, I saved a lot of money, I bought this nice letter, and it was the King James Version. And when I read the King James Version, it says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And I, could, I, I, I don't understand, what do you mean, I don't want God as my shepherd? Is it? You know, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. What do you mean, I don't want God as my shepherd? So, so there are new versions, that comes out, oh, I shall not be in want. And the Lord is my shepherd. Because the Lord is my shepherd, therefore I lack nothing. Let me give you a tips on reading uh, uh, the Old Testament. Sometimes you see the word Lord, L-O-R-D, spelled in capital form. Sometimes it's just only one, the capital letter is on the first letter and then O-R-D is small letter. Don't think that they are the same. They are different, actually. If you see L with a capital letter and then O-R-D in a small form, it is basically just referring to the Lordship of Christ. The Lord is your master and all that. But when you read the Old Testament, the word Lord, they they are all in capitals. It is actually using the name of God. It is using the name of God. You know, David could have used many different metaphors to describe God, such as infinite, immense, good, omnipresence, immanent, holy, perfect, deliverer, rock, king, full of grace and mercy. But it is God as shepherd that, God, that David focuses on. And so the word Lord, he begins by saying, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord here is referring to the name of God, the original name of God, Yahweh, which means in Exodus chapter 3, remember uh, Moses, God raised Moses up to go to Egypt to deliver his people out of Egypt. And then he asked God in the burning bush, what should I say to Pharaoh who sent me? And God simply says, say, I am. Or it means, I will be. I am who I am. is a personal name for God used by Moses and then repeated more than 4,000 times in the Old Testament. A phrase so familiar that we probably are missing the magnitude of these words. David is simply saying that the eternal God, the I am, of the universe is his personal shepherd. David could have rightly said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our shepherd. But he does not say this. He simply said, The Lord is my shepherd. And so this is a reminder that Christianity is not as much a religion as it is a relationship. Being a Christian means having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus says in John chapter 10, right? I am the good shepherd. And the nature of Psalms 23 then becomes even more personal. The Christian reads Psalms 23 this way, The Lord, the Jesus, is my shepherd. And because Jesus is my shepherd, I lack nothing. So the sheep experience sufficiency. The sheep and you and I, we experience contentment when the Lord is my shepherd. But what does it mean to say that I lack nothing or I shall not be in one? How can this be true? Because further down when we read in verse 4 onwards, we are told about walking through the darkest valley or the valley of the shadow of death. Isn't it those moments that we lack something? We lack the green pastures. We lack the quiet waters. So how can that be true? In what sense then can it be said that the Christians shall not lack anything? And I like John Pipers, the uh, American author, who say, What David means when he says that the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing, is that God's sheep never lack anything that the shepherd thinks is good for them. So you will let, not lack anything that this shepherd knows that it is good for you. Whatever that is good for you, he will supply for you. So when David said, I lack nothing, or I shall not be in one, he was not saying that God shepherded him by giving him the, the, all the carnal desires of his heart but rather that his trust in God who is self-sufficient and utter unchanged by time has led to him never lacking anything that he truly needed. So what this means is that God is all we need. What this means is that Jesus is enough. Whether we are in the green pastures, whether we are in the darkest valley, the shepherds remain at our side, and that is what we need. If we have Jesus, we lack No good thing. When the Lord is our shepherd, the Lord, L O R D, capital, is our shepherd, we shall not be in one. We will not lack anything that the shepherd knows that is best for us. We will never lack that. He will be generously giving to us. There's a poem written by a soldier. Attributed to a Civil War soldier who died in the battle. And this is his prayer. He said, I asked God for strength that I might achieve things. But I was made weak that I might learn humbly to obey. I asked for health that I might do greater things. I was given infirmity that I might do better things. I asked for riches that I might be happy. I was given poverty that I might be wise. I asked for power that I might have the praise of man. I was given weakness that I might feel the need of God. I asked for all things that I might enjoy life, but I was given life that I might enjoy all things. And then he concluded by saying, I got nothing I asked for but everything I had hoped for. Almost despite myself, my unspoken prayers were answered. I am among men most richly blessed. It is a great advance to me in spiritual understanding to be able to say, I got nothing I asked for, but everything I had hoped for. And that is the meaning of the Lord is my shepherd. And because the Lord is your shepherd, you will lack nothing that the shepherd thinks it is good for you. He will supply everything that he believes is good for you. And over time, you will be able to say, like what this soldier said, I got nothing I asked for, but everything I have hoped for. Sometimes we don't even know what we want. Sometimes we don't even know what we actually need. And therefore, the Lord knows better. Any, any parents will know that, that what a child needs when they're young. You will never give to a child all that they ask for, but always give only what is best for them. And so, when you are a sheep, you will experience sufficiency. You will experience contentment when the Lord is your shepherd. The second thing that David said to us is that the sheep will experience satisfaction. Satisfaction. Many people view Christianity as a joy killer. You cannot do this. You cannot do that. You cannot go here. You cannot go there. Especially when we are young, we like to try and do many things. But we often think that religion is a kind of joy killer. You you know, shut you down. You don't do that. But as you grow in your Christian life, I give a simple analogy to you. All of us here play sports. Can you imagine if you have played sports without boundary? Can you imagine footy has no boundary? Can you imagine badminton or basketball that has no boundary? Is there joy without boundary? So boundary is there for what? It's to maximize the joy of the game. Yeah, remain competitive and scoring and all that. So rules are there not to kill it. Rules are there to provide maximum fun, in a sense. And so we experience satisfaction when we call God our shepherd. Here in verse 2 and 3, it says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters; he restores my soul, and I will say he refreshes my soul. You know, since the lands of the Bible are mostly dry, rocky, and having sparse water, it would be quite a feat for any shepherd to find pleasant places for all the necessity of. Life, green pastures of grass and quiet streams providing water for drinking. is not easy to find in the rocky land, uh, dry land, and all that. God not only finds this oasis for his sheep, but he also provides the peaceful conditions necessary to get the sheep to lie down and rest. I'm I'm not a shepherd, I know very little about. Uh, farming and all that, because I come from Singapore, it's a concrete jungle, that's why I don't know much about flowers, uh, we, we, we don't grow plants or anything, we have no garden, we live in apartments. And uh, that is not to say that all of them don't know flowers, I'm not implying that, it's just me, you know? but, it, but the environment doesn't help or enhance in a sense. But for those of you who don't, do not know, I, I read a little bit about uh, by, uh, a guy by the name of Philip Keller. Philip Keller was a pastor and uh, an author. And for eight years, he was himself a shepherd. And so he wrote something of his reflection on S- Psalms 23. And I learned from his understanding, he says, Sheep must be made to lie down in green pastures. Otherwise, they would fall asleep while standing up. And he says this, he said, it is almost impossible for a sheep to lie down unless certain requirements are met. And he listed four. He said, you must fulfill these four requirements before you actually can make the sheep sit down and lie down. And he said, number one is uh, they will refuse to, they will refuse to lie, because they are very timid, they will refuse to lie down unless they are free from all fear. So if they are fearful, they won't lie down. They will refuse to lie down unless they are free from friction with other sheep. And then they will not lie down if they are tormented by flies or parasites. Sheep will not lie down. And lastly, sheep will not lie down as long as they feel in need of finding food. So that means in order to make sheep lie down, there must be freedom from fear, freedom from friction, freedom from flies, and freedom from famine. So, before a sheep will lie down. So translate this into our context. And I hear David saying that the Lord often removes all obstacles in our life for the purpose of giving us rest, and rest of a certain kind. So you find satisfaction. That comes back to the first point. The sheep experience uh, containment, sufficiency. Because when the Lord is a shepherd, He will give us all that He believes what the sheep needs. Sheep, of course, will not drink gurgling water. Therefore, the shepherd takes them by still waters so they can satisfy their thirst. And so the combination of green pastures and still waters portrays God's refreshing care for His very own. And while we are against the prosperity gospel, uh, that many churches are preaching is just being exported by America, the American dream. They just put some spin into it and justify it. Did you know that church is very smart nowadays? They don't just put in a policy, they can just create a doctrine. And when that happened, uh, you use the name of God to, to propel you down a terrible pathway, which many people have been so to it particularly if you are very materialistic. You just want God's blessing. And uh, while the Bible does not give us a prosperity gospel, this is not to say that it gives us a prosper-less gospel. The green pastures and the quiet waters represent a type of prosperity that the shepherd gives to his sheep. And the reason we are given this prosperity is stated in verse 3. Here, He makes me lie down in great pastures. He leads me beside still water. He restores my soul. Refresh my soul. Since the word translated soul is actually life, and since the metaphor here is that of shepherding, the words probably mean the Lord restore me to physical health, the soul. And Philip Keller in the book went on to mention about the possibility of what they call cast sheep. Again, I don't know much about Cast sheep. He shed light, some light on what David meant to this verse through the description of a cast sheep. C-A-S-T. Cast sheep. And it is sheep that somehow entangled because they are very clumsy, they can be a bit overweight, and they can fall over. And these are known as cast sheep. A sheep that lies down uh, in... A hollow or depression in the ground rose on his side and has his feet no longer able to touch the ground. And you can watch on YouTube, I watch a number of them. It's impossible for them to get up. They can try, they just cannot get up. It. When this happens, the center of gravity will shift enough to force the ship to lie on his back, which will in turn result in gases building up in the sheep's body, and within a few hours will result in death. So the shepherd constantly counts his sheep to see if any have wandered off and become cast. And it's very easy; you just push, and you very quickly they'll, they'll get back on. And sheep are not very smart, and so he said, "Restores my soul. Restore us." When we are physically down, and our soul are refreshed inside of us, we concentrate too much on the external, very little on the internal. We spend all our time keeping ourselves externally healthy, but very little time keeping our inner life healthy. We eat healthy food, we go exercise, but when prayer meetings or something that we can learn from God's Word, about reading God's Word, about meditation, we don't spend enough time on those things. No wonder we are so healthy, and yet so many people are depressed. Even in the most livable country or city in the world, there are so many people are on (laughs) antidepressants because we don't focus on our inner life. We don't know how to take care of our inner life. Even pastors don't know how to take care of inner life because they think church is just business model. It's about forever working and, and thriving this after another and they got burned out and quit and, and died. And sheep are not very smart as well. They have a predictable inclination to lose their way. It has been said that even though there are, there are plenty of grass and still wander aimlessly until they have nothing to eat or drink. That is sheep. And once lost, they can't find their way back. And many animals seem to have inborn compasses. However, that is not with the sheep. Once lost, the shepherds must go and find them. Like sheep, as the Bible says, or in Psalms, David says, our hearts are always prone to wander. And therefore, it says here, He refreshes my soul or He restores my soul and then He guides me along the right path for His name's sake. He will lead us, He will guide us back to join the ship. Jesus always goes and leads us and guides us back. So when you have someone that is lost, you have a son, you have a daughter, your parents, your siblings, whoever has gone astray, pray. The Lord in His own time will lead them back to the right path. And claim upon Philippians 1 verse 6 that He who begins a good work in them will bring it to completion. Many Christian families, their kids as they grow up, they go astray. And some of you here can, can uh, identify. You bring your church. Children to church when they're young, in the Sunday school and all that. They grew up in the youth group, and then they go to university. they wonderful adults live, and they get their license, their drive. They go astray. They go astray. But claim upon Philippians 1 verse 6, He who begins a good work in them will bring it to completion. Pray for them. The Lord will, in His own ways, guide them back to the right path. Seek His sheep and bring them back. To the foe. Pray, trust the Lord, believe that the Lord loves to bring them back. And so we talk about the sheep experience sufficiency, contentment. We talk about the sheep, when we call God our shepherd, we experience satisfaction. All that you need, God will provide for you. And then the third one is that the sheep experience security. When you know that God is your shepherd, the Lord, the capital letters, the Lord, the Yahweh, I am that I am, is your shepherd. Verse 4 tells us that you will experience security. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, some versions say, even though I walk through the shadow, the valley of the shadow of death, or the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. In search of ever-elusive grass and water, the flock must, at time, pass into deep, rugged path. Valley. I mean, for us, valley is a nice place. I live on long valley ways. The valley is very long. Uh, to us, but at that that time uh, when David writes, this valley is a dangerous place because they can can, uh, devour by other animals or flood and all that. So walking in the dark shadows can be, there is a sense of fear of flesh floods, wild animals or bandits who could quickly come and kill the sheep. And so, Here, when we have the Lord as our shepherd, when a shepherd is leading and guiding, we will experience security. You know, the Christian life as God's sheep is not always one of tranquility. One mountaintop experience after another. I often wonder why many Christians, when they go through hard time, they walk away from God. I think one of the reasons is because they have not fully understand who God is. They always think that religion, believing in God, means you're forever cruising when you, are, you, know, you cannot experience difficult challenges of your life. I want to show you some photos. See, this version said, even though I walked through the valley of the shadow of death. That's me about 30 years ago. Yes, I was skinny before. In case you don't know, I wasn't born fat. This was in India, in the place called Agra, just north of New Delhi, Touch, uh, Agra. Agra is where the Taj Mahal is. I went there twice. But I want to show this photo, it's not to show you that I was slim before. I want to show you the person beside me. And that was my friend, my best friend actually. Uh, best friend, he's a really good friend. When I was in the mission field, he supported me financially. Everywhere I go, he visited me. When I was in India, he came to visit me. When I was in Australia, started studying, he came to visit me. When I got married, he paid for my honeymoon to New Zealand. Uh, He's a good friend, very good friend. Uh, He picked me up from the airport, he sent me to the airport. Uh, Just just my best friend. But he died of cancer 19 years ago, at the age of 38. Uh, he prayed for people. He always visit. has to care for people. He prayed uh, just a few months before he died. He was in Hong Kong. He didn't know he had lymphoma. He was just praying for one of his uh, cousin's kids uh, who had cancer. Um, but didn't, didn't know that a few weeks later, he discovered that he himself got cancer. Uh, well-loved friends and uh, church members. But The end did finally come when his body was too far going for any nourishment to sustain him. Uh, No bond was too strong enough to hold on to him permanently. He just got married two years, got a one-year-old son. No enough of cajoling to hang on and be positive, eat organic food and uh, whatever. The problem was not with the nourishment or with the absence of his desire to live. The problem was that a destructive cell had so taken over the body that the best of nourishment could not restore to life what was dying. And that break comes for all of us at different times and in different ways. The nourishment of food, the bond of friendship, the occasion for celebration and the delights of legitimate pleasure and in, the mat- and in the matter of a moment for each life and each relationship. His wife told me, every time I go back to Singapore, I will meet up with his wife. His wife told me that she was by his side 24 hours for many days. Not entirely, but the last 48 hours she was by his side. But he took his last breath and gone. And she said, he travels that final path without me. She didn't leave his hospital bed for 48 hours, but that last bit was without me. Because at this point, no other guide can accompany the traveler. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadows of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. He is the only one that can travel past the valley of death. No one else. No one else. Only Him. You are with me. Thank God that it was not without the good shepherd. So when you have God as your shepherd, you experience security. The thing that you fear the most, most people fear death. It is the time that you see the transition from the third person language to the first person language. It is now become you. You are with me. No more, he feeds me, he leads me beside still water, he refreshes my soul. It becomes you. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. No one can travel down that pathway, not even the one that closest to you. At some point, you may be married for 50 years, 60 years, 80 years that particular journey, the person cannot be with you. Only God, the shepherd, can travel with you. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You know, not all sheep will submit to the sovereign rule of the Lord. Some resist the shepherd. And to this, the Lord applies the rod The rod is used as a protection against the wild animals, but also as a means to discipline the stubborn sheep and to keep them from danger. The rod was also used to cow and inspect the sheep. Because of their long wool, it was not always easy to detect disease, wounds or defects in the sheep. But the shepherd would take his rod and part the sheep's wool to determine the conditions of their skins and the shepherd uses the staff around the neck of a large sheep or around the body of a little lamb to just draw the sheep to him to guide the sheep or to lift sheep that have fallen or about the to fall off the cliff so you have ex- you will experience security. Even darkest valley, the shepherd walks with you. He has a rod and a staff to guide you, to to discipline you, the same time to guide you back to the correct pathway. And so the sheep experience sufficiency, satisfaction, security when you have the Lord as your shepherd. And then the fourth one in verse 5 is that the sheep will experience safety. In verse 5, Again, this is still in the first-person language, transit now, uh, still using the first-person language. You prepare a table before me. In the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflow. David began to change the metaphor of a good shepherd to a gracious host. Food is important. If you are an Eastern culture, you will never amazingly experience that kind of hospitality. I live in Pakistan and a few other uh, Middle Eastern countries before their hospitality is second to none. God spread a sumptuous meal before him, a great banquet. When? In the presence of your enemies. And David used this because David had experienced before. David had experienced, this figure grows right out of the historical situation in which David wrote. When David was driven, you know, after 33 years as king, he experienced an uprising from his son, Absalom. You can read it in 2 Samuel chapter 17 and before, uh, he, he was driven to the wilderness by Absalom, his son's rebellion. And he found himself out in the desert, hungry and weary. His army is in disarray. And as recorded in 2 Samuel chapter 17, three men, they were not even Israelites, by the name of Shobi, Matiah, and Bazilai view this is what these three men brought to david they brought bathing bowls and articles of pottery they also brought wheat and they also brought wheat and barley flour and roasted grain meat, beans and lentils honey and curds sheep sheepmen and cheese from cow's milk, for David and his people to eat. For they say the people have become exhausted and hungry and thirsty in the wilderness. So David saw in this his own personal experience and remembered this when he, at the end of his life he was reflecting about this God. He panned it down that you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. David saw in this that God, as a gracious host, was preparing a table before him in the presence of his enemies. And Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, that I showed up a couple of weeks ago, that my God will supply all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. And he anoints your head with oil. Not just only he prepared a, a table before you, he anoints your head with oil and your cup overflow. So the blessing of the shepherd is not an elimination of our problems. The blessing of a shepherd is not an elimination of all our enemies. The blessing of our shepherd is a table for two prepared In the presence of our enemies. And the table, of course, is symbolic of our fellowship with him. So in the midst of trials, our source of joy is our fellowship with the shepherd. He prepares a table for us. He anoints our head with oil. Your cup will overflow. He anoints your head with oil. A symbol of blessing. In the midst of difficulties. So you will experience safety. I remember when I was in in India, I applied for visa to enter the country and actually I only have one month visa but I didn't know. I thought I have six months visa. So I stayed for six months which in actual fact I overstayed for five months. I didn't know. I was completely oblivious to it. I just thought I have 6 months visa. I never looked at it. I just know this particular day I have to get out of the country. And so I took train all the way to northern India and then walked that border, the long border to Pakistan. Uh, I haven't crossed yet. I have to clear the, the India custom. And when I was there, come to the passport, time, I produced my passport, he opened up and said, you all, why you stayed so long? I said, what do you mean? He said, you have one month visa, you stayed for six months. I didn't really, you know, people always say it's easy to ask for forgiveness and permission, I didn't really have that in mind. You know? I really was ignorant to it. And so I said, what should I do? He said, you have to go back. You have to return back to New Delhi, go to the home affair, uh, ministry, and renew your visa. Then you come back. I said, I took the train for one day and walked here all the way. Yeah, you have to do that. And so I have to do that. I went back all the way. And then the next morning, I went to the home Affairs ministry there, waited. And then when the door opened, you will not believe. Hundreds of people, they You know, I was shocked. And when I reached there, I said, sorry, that's it. I said, what? He said, come back again tomorrow. So I went back home, came back again the next day. This time, I'm like that too. <laughs> I'm ready, you know, I'm ready, I'm ready. The minute eight o'clock opened, I must dashed. I managed to get in. And I went up there. I said, my he said, you are in trouble. You overstayed for five months. I said, What can I do? He said, But you are very lucky because you are from Singapore. Your Prime Minister was our guest of honour just last week. <laughs> just last week on our Independence Day. We are good friends to your country, so I show you grace. Go. I left that place, and I can recount to you times and times again how the Lord come into intervention. He anoints your head with oil, and your cup overflows. overflows. Many other stories I can share with you. And so here you go, when the Lord is our shepherd, we experience sufficiency, we experience satisfaction, security, safety, and finally, the sheep experience surety. He says, surely goodness and love or mercy, surely goodness and love or mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. A final note is that the word follow is literally means pursue. Truly, goodness and love will pursue you all the days of my life. Isn't it true? Go back to verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. That what is good for you, the Lord will pursue and will want to give it to you. What He believes that you need and what is best for you. David says that God's goodness and love and mercy shall pursue him in contrast to his enemy's pursuit to dethrone and to destroy him. And as a result, eventually, David's kingdom was restored again. Why do we always, why many Christians always think that God is against you? Why? Why do we always believe that God is against you? God is there with a rod waiting to strike you. Why do we have this image? Where did this image come from? That God is there always ready to punish you and beat you up. Where did we get this image from? The Bible says, if God is for us, then who can be against us? Look at the story of the prodigal son. What what was the father doing? Did he come up with a rotan, a cane, waiting to whack the prodigal son? I told you, didn't I tell you, you will come back and crawling back to me? What about the story of Hosea? Go back and read the story of Hosea. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And then he said, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David's desire was to go back to the tabernacle and to worship there. God's mercy and kindness ought to evoke the same response from us. We worship, of course, not in the tabernacle now. As Jesus said, we worship in spirit and in truth. We worship in the inner man where God dwells. When we see that the Good Shepherd does feed us, does lead us, does protect us, our response ought to be worship, recognition of all that the shepherd is, a word of thanks for what he has done. And the statement here is more of myself for you to put your intended purpose. That is true worship. Myself in you to put in your intended purpose. Oh Lord, you are a good shepherd. You are utterly trustworthy. You feed me. You guide me. You guard me. You protect me. I surrender myself in awe to worship you. And that is what David concludes by saying, your goodness and mercy shall pursue me, shall follow me. And as a result, me then is in response. I want to dwell in your house. I want to worship you all the days. Of my life, so when God is your shepherd, you will experience sufficiency, satisfaction, security, safety, and surety. This is what Psalms twenty-three. David, at the end of his life, looking back of his all experience with God, he writes these beautiful psalms for us. Let me finish with this. There was a story about a Sunday school teacher. He gave his class an assignment to learn the 23rd Psalm by the following Sunday. He so said, your homework this week is to go home and memorize Psalms 23. Because I want you all to recite to the whole church next week. So a little boy by the name of Bobby just couldn't get it all in his head. He struggled all week long. They're not good in memorizing. They are not good in memorizing. Asians, we grew up memorizing things. We're memorizing timetables, memorizing things, you know. Even exams, you memorize. And then that's just regurgitate everything without understanding. So I might get a better score than you, but you might actually know more than me. And so the next week came around, so this Bobby turned to say the psalm. His teacher whispered to Bobby, "Okay Bobby, it's your turn. Go." Bobby is shaking like a leaf and sweating. And then Bobby just stood up and shouted this, "The Lord is my shepherd." And that's all I need to know. (laughs) That's it. And maybe that's the message that you need to bring home with you. I hope you still memorize the Psalms. (laughs) But chief important is that you must know that the Lord, please remember it's a capital letters, is my shepherd. Is your shepherd. And that's all you need to know. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for Psalms 23. And the heart of it is relationship. The heart of it is to remind us that this is not just a religion. It is not just reciting the verses and all that. And the heart of it all is relationship. Thank you that you are our shepherd. And because you are our shepherd, we lack nothing. You will only lead us to green pastures. And you make us sit down. You make us comfortable. You lead us beside quiet waters. You restore our soul. You will guide us in paths of righteousness for your name's sake. And even though We walk through the valley of the shadow of death. We will fear no evil, that final route that no one can cross. You say you are with us. Your rod and your staff, you comfort us. You prepare a table before us in the presence of our enemies. How good is that? And you continue to anoint our head with oil. You continue to Shower goodness and mercy, and it will follow us all the days of our life. And as a response to all your goodness, we then want to worship you. We want to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Thank you, Lord. Amen.